Good morning. Please stay standing for the reading of God's Word. Today's passage will be in the uh, chapter of Acts. I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, chapter 13. Uh, we'll just be reading verses 1 through 3. God's Word says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a long-life friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. It's a reading of God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you today, Lord, thankful for who you are. Lord, we're thankful for your sovereignty over all things, Lord. We know that our being here today is of divine appointment, Lord. Lord, we just ask that you would be with us as we dive into your word, Lord. We ask that you would help us to glean from the passages the things that you would have us glean. Lord, and I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, be acceptable and well-pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So, for those that don't know me, my name is Mark Black. I'm um, just a member here at Living Waters Fellowship. And uh, Josh asked me to fill in for him this week. He's uh, preaching up at um, Sailorville Church. Uh, it's apparently been about four years since he's preached up there, so he's excited for that opportunity. And I'm excited for this opportunity. Uh, our sermon series this summer is uh, The Thriving Church, and we'll be continuing in that series. And I thought I would start my sermon today with um, just a little bit of um, background of our church and, and history of our church. Uh, most of you that have obviously been here for a long time, you know our story well, uh, but there's plenty of others that uh, might be new to our church or maybe just visiting. Uh, so I thought this would give us a little bit of context uh, for our passage today. So our purpose statement as a church is to spread a passion for the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I put the emphasis on spread and ask the question, to who? And we say it's to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And primarily it's to us here on the southeast side of Des Moines, um, but it's also to others around the metro area, but also to others throughout the world through the missionaries that we support. Our church has five cultural values. Uh, first one being that Jesus gets first place, that the gospel gets celebrated, our desire is to create a biblical family atmosphere, and uh, to instill a humble confidence, and that our lives and our possessions are for sharing. And for those that don't know, our church started back in 2008, and for those that are doing math, that's 15 years ago now. So you're still a young church, but not as young as we once, uh, as young as we once were. Uh, that, our church started with a core group meeting in Josh and Daniel Daggett's basement uh, back in 2008. And they were there until they outgrew their basement. And then they eventually um, struck a deal with the uh, Riverwoods Elementary School. And they rented the cafeteria at Riverwoods Elementary. Um, that's where I first, um, our first experience as a family was going to that church. Our daughter was two years old at the time and uh, maybe, maybe not quite two yet. Um, and then they grew to the point where they outgrew the cafeteria, and then they started renting the gymnasium along with a few of the other classrooms because they now had kids' ministries to do alongside church. And so we were doing setup and teardown every single Sunday at the Riverwoods Gym, um, and we spent many, many Sundays doing that. They were there for a long time. Um, 
And then in 2017, you know, we realized that, you know, even though we have a place currently, um, it's not our place, and who knows at what point in time Des Moines Public School Systems decides they don't want us there or we need to find a different place to go. Um, so we tried exploring different properties to purchase or uh, buildings to build and things like that. We ended up buying three and a half acres of land on Army Post Road um, that we would eventually put a building on, at least that was the desire at the time. Um, our first desire was to still be in this neighborhood, but there wasn't, there isn't land here for us to build a building like this on. Uh, we had already spoken to Fairway. Fairway wasn't planning on moving out anytime soon, so we bought that land, tore down a house, tore down a building, cleaned things up on that property, and then lo and behold, two years later, Fairway decides we're out. <laughs> so, um, so we made an agreement with Fairway, a commitment to purchase the building in 2019, which we eventually did in 2020. Um, alongside of all that, 2020 came COVID and the pandemic, and lo and behold, we get kicked out of the school. Ah, what do we do? We did what everybody else did. We went virtual for a while, um, streamed all of our services, um, which was a great growing experience. I mean, God used that to help um, grow us in our technology and the things that we do now with streaming services and all that. And then um, in April of 2020, we actually raised enough money to make the purchase of this property. However, we couldn't occupy this building yet because it was literally four walls and no heating and cooling, um, no main restrooms. I mean, they had the little bathrooms in the back kind of thing. And so the city wasn't going to allow us to occupy this and hold services within, within the building confines until we got things renovated to the point where they would at least get a temporary occupancy. But we owned the property. So that summer of uh, 2020, we ended up doing tent service. Uh, we rented one of those big party tents. And for 10 weeks out in the parking lot, we did tent service, which was a really, really cool experience, but also a hot experience. We were doing this in the dead of summer. So we had fans going and things blowing and neighborhood stuff happening with people walking by and chirping or whatever the case may be. But it was awesome. God used that as a way for us to really... Um, announced that we're here and we're coming to this neighborhood. Um, then, um, so we still needed a place to go, right? So we had, we had the property, we're doing tent service, winter's coming. Um, we ended up striking a deal with the Southside YMCA to use their gymnasium in a very similar capacity to what we did at Riverwood. So it was tear down, set up, set up and tear down at the YMCA gym, uh, which that worked out really well until three weeks into that, YMCA sold out to Genesis Health Clubs. Genesis Health Clubs has a little bit of a different business model than the Y did. Uh, they wanted the use of their gym during Sundays, so we got the boot. Then we're thinking, okay, now what do we do? So we struck a deal with the Southside Movie Theaters to give us a place to go. And the Southside Movie Theaters weren't showing movies at the time. They couldn't have people there because of COVID and things like that. So uh, we rented three theaters. One theater was our main service theater where um, Josh would preach and we would all attend. But we needed a second theater as overflow because we had more people coming than what the theater would hold. So we uh, streamed the service basically on a projector on the screen uh, for the overflow. And then the third theater was used for the kids' um, ministry because they had to have a place to go as well. <clears throat> Mostly nursery at that time. So that was the Southside Movie Theater. God gave us, um, we were grateful for the opportunity to be in that movie theater. But man, are we grateful to not be in that movie theater now. <laughs> Maybe not the cleanest place for us to have. I've, I've, the kids crawling around on the floors, just, mm, yep. But we, we, we dealt with it. It was good. 
So winter came and went, spring comes, we're working on this building, still not quite able to move into it yet, but so we go back to tent service. So May and April, May, late April, May and June, uh, we did tent service back out in the parking lot again. Uh, but then in June, I think it was June 20th of 2021, uh, we actually were able to hold our first service here. We got our temporary occupancy, we got our fire exits in place, fire alarm updated, uh, heating and cooling started to be in place. Um, we were able to kind of divide out the somewhat of the layout of the building. Um, so we were super thankful to be in here. And then slowly, um, or not so slowly, I guess, we've been renovating this building phase by phase as God's allowed uh, funding to come in. Uh, so that's a little bit of history of our church. Um, our church um, is the second church to be planted out of Sailorville Church. Um, Sailorville Church is who we call our mother church. And I've got a little video um, kind of walking us through that process a little bit. Pat lead pastor of Sailorville Church, and you're looking at ground zero where the Engage Network began over 16 years ago. So here's what happened. I'd been here a few years at Sailorville Church. We had grown and we have continued to grow through seeing people come to know Jesus, getting baptized, joining the church. The church had literally doubled in size, but then through a very humiliating circumstance, and I do mean humiliating, God laid on my heart the desire to expand our gospel witness throughout the greater Des Moines metro. And that's how the Engage Network began. And we started it with our very first church planner in Polk City, my personal friend, Dave Heisterkamp. Thanks, Pat. Dave Heisterkamp, uh, lead pastor at Lakeside uh, Fellowship here. Who would have thought when Pat and I got together in a coffee shop and scratched out on a napkin a number of years ago, uh, kind of an embarrassingly simple plan for planning churches. Find a person, pick a place, and then gather the people that God would have done this unbelievable work in Polk City. A commitment to sharing the good news of Christ, His finished work on the cross with people. Well, just a couple years after Lakeside started here in Polk City, God led us to another man, my good friend, Josh Daggett. Hey, thanks, Dave. My name is Josh Daggett. I'm the lead pastor at Living Waters Fellowship on the south side of Des Moines. We minister in the southeast quadrant of the city and Carlisle and surrounding areas. And God's done an amazing work. We bought an old grocery store, a Fairway grocery store, just last year and we're remodeling it. We have multiple services going on on a Sunday. We'd love to have you come visit if you're around the south side of Des Moines. And uh, one couple that was really instrumental in helping Living Waters start was a couple named Greg and Laura Pollock. God used them in big ways in our church, and I'm gonna let Greg introduce himself now. Thanks, Josh. I am the lead pastor of High Point Church in Altoona, Iowa. We meet at Clay Elementary at 10 a.m., and we would love to serve you in the Southeast Polk area. I wanna introduce you to my good buddy who actually helped plant this church in Altoona, who's now the pastor of Winterset, Iowa, Jason Gerwell. Thanks, Greg, Jason Gerwell lead pastor at Redeemer Church in Winterset, Iowa. Over the last seven years, we've seen God work in unbelievable ways in Winterset. Seeing people come to know Christ and spiritual growth beyond what we could ever have imagined or prayed for. You know, one of the jokes we have as Engage Network pastors is that Pat always seemed to think he knew where we should plant a church. Greg, and Josh, and I all were appealed to by Pat to plant a church in North Ankeny. Well, in God's timing and with God's man, he had a plan for that. Adam Beecher, church planner to New City Church in Ankeny, Iowa. Hello, my name is Adam Beecher. I'm the pastor here at New City Church in the great city of Ankeny, Iowa. We meet here at Ankeny Christian Academy every Sunday night at 5 p.m. right here on First Street. We would love for you to join us 
God has done so many amazing things in the short lifespan of our church. We're constantly thanking him for them. One of the great things is the opportunity that we've had just recently to be the sending church for the Huxley Church Plant, which will be led by my very dear friend, Pastor Stephen Moore. Thanks, Adam. Hi, I'm Stephen Moore, the Engage Network's church planting resident. In the fall of 2020, God led me and my family to join with the Engage Network. In 2021, God clearly led us to Huxley as the location for the next church plant. My family has already moved into the community and begun the process of building a core group to help us launch the next church. By God's grace and with the help of our sister churches, in 2022, we will launch the seventh church in the Engage Network. Greater Des Moines area, the Engage Network of Churches has you covered. Pretty awesome story, right? Um, so Stephen Moore's church up in Huxley is, is called Ballard Creek, and I think this video was created in 2021, um, so they didn't name the church at that point in time, but they held their first service uh, Easter Sunday, actually, in 2022, so they did do that. And then uh, for those that were here, I think it was late last fall, uh, Pat Nemmer's son, John Nemmer's, uh, preached here, and he's planning the eighth church in the Engage Network now on the north side of Des Moines, and that church will be called Eden. And we'll actually be commissioning uh, Elijah and Ray Morgan to their core group uh, to go help them plant their church. Um, so with all that background and history, I think, you know, this is the one thing that I love about this church is that, you know, even though, you know, I was on the uh, new building committee, you know, trying to decide whether we're buying property and all these kinds of things, um, we wanted to have a place to call home to that we could use to preach and teach the word, uh, to hold our youth programs, our counseling programs, etc. Uh, but we always had this mantra that whatever home that we found, it was never going to be a landing pad for us, even though as a transient church, we, we still needed a home. But it, the landing pad wasn't the goal. It was the launching pad. And what do I mean by that? So our, our goal as a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to encourage and support them to grow in their faith in the hopes that God will raise up others um, to go to the mission field or to plant churches of their own where we could be the sending church. And then those churches can raise up people to plant more churches, right? That's, that's how the kingdom grows. So our video and our story gave us a, a glimpse of how we got here. But, you know, I'm trying to think through, like, the path of, of before us and before Sailorville even. Um, and it probably looks something like this, right? I mean, the Bible shows us how Paul and the apostles, they would plant churches in Thessalonica and in Corinth and then in Rome and then to Ephesus and Spain, and then I think eventually they moved, you know, obviously the, the movement moved up to England, and then the settlers came to America, and you had people of, men of God, on those boats coming over, and they settled into, they built churches in, uh, in the northeast side of America, then it comes to the Midwest, and then eventually to Sailorville, and then to here. I think it would be kind of cool to see a, a history map of, you know, if we could trace back how, how the church movement all, all started. But I think our question is, how do we put ourselves in the best place to be used by God to extend his kingdom? And I think our passage today shows us what a church planning church should look like. And some of you might be asking yourselves, you know, aren't, aren't there enough churches? I mean, I feel like we got a church on almost every street corner. Why do we need to keep planning more churches? And I did a quick Google search, and Des Moines proper has like 131 Christian churches. And some of these churches are, are great churches. They've got biblical leaders. They've got sound doctrine. They're awesome churches. But there are also many other churches here that aren't teaching the gospel, and they're not spiritually sound. 
and their teaching is inconsistent. Um, and some of you might have come from churches like that to here. And unfortunately, you know, those, those churches are going to be dying churches and they just don't even know it yet. So what I wanted to do today was to look at three traits of a small church that's able to make a big impact for the kingdom of God. And the first trait, I think, is found in its commitment to preach and teach the word. So you're looking at verse 1 of the passage, and it says that there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. They use these two words to describe these men, prophets and teachers. And prophets, I don't know about you, but when I usually think of the word prophet, I think of somebody that's going to be future-telling. You know, God put something in their heart to tell us of something that's going to happen in the future. And they, he used the prophets from the Old Testament. You got the major and the minor prophets. You got Elijah, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, Daniel, uh, God using these men to warn the people of Israel of things that are going to happen to them uh, down the road. And that's, that's the most common, I think, use of the word prophet. But it can also mean that prophet can be people that God called to proclaim his word so that others can be edified and equipped to do the work of the ministry. They're the spokesperson for God, which is the point of preaching, I think. So then thinking through sermons, you know, sermons are, are not something designed just to make you feel good when you leave here. You know, these aren't a, a TED talk with the three keys to success in life. Um, it's kingdom work, right? Preaching is kingdom work every Sunday, every sermon. Thinking the work that Josh and Andy and all the other elders have to go through. Um, Ephesians 4, uh, 11 and 12, Paul tells us, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So with sermons, you and me are, should be being built up to do the work of the ministry. And we're not just trying to build up Living Waters membership, but we're really leading others to Jesus. That's, that's our mission. Living Waters is where we get trained in good teaching and sound doctrine so that we can go and talk to the people in our sphere of influence. Paul tells Timothy, uh, who's another church planner, by the way, uh, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears so that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Does that sound at all familiar to what's happening in our culture today? You see, without the commitment to preaching God's word, the church will stop listening to its truths. And the inevitable consequences of this lack of biblical commitment is the church will stray off into all the nonsense we see going on today. You know, our mission is not about extending our logo, so to speak, right? Like a business and being in competition with other churches to try to be the most popular church in town. Unfortunately, though, this has become the case in many areas. You know, you see the mega churches out there where you've got leaders making millions of dollars. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie American Gospel, um, but it's a fantastic documentary of... Um, of churches that lose their vision, right? Um, when I was in, when, when my family was in uh, the McDaniels small group, we watched that movie as a small group, and man, it was really eye-opening to see how twisted people can become. You know, I'm sure they all didn't have bad intentions to start with when they were creating their churches of uh, selfish ambitions and all these things. I'm sure Satan whittled its way into their hearts, 
Um, but ultimately, their, their leader's vision is not about the kingdom. It's about their church and ultimately themselves. In those cases, the gospel, uh, in, the, in the cases where, where that happens, the gospel often gets compromised in order to attract more people so that they can and they will tithe more money so that they can buy more stuff to attract more people so that they can tithe more money so that eventually they can be the biggest and best church in town or a state or the country, whatever the case may be. And I think this is the sinful, limited definition for the kingdom of God in the modern church today. You know, they say if we can have a, a big church, then we've made a big impact for the kingdom of God. Maybe, maybe not. Our mission is not to attract a crowd. Our mission is to preach the word of God because it's the word that saves and transforms lives, right? 1 Peter 1, 23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So we're not born again because we have the best parking. We're not born again because the preacher was funny or the heating and cooling was perfect or the music was great or we have lots of programming for the youth or the, the coffee and donuts were just top-notch. God's word must come first, right? That's it. Uh, so the second trait of a small church that makes a big impact is found in the way its leaders and its people trust God. So in looking at the passage again, so you've got in the church of Antioch, you've got these men, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a long-life friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and, and Saul. And my initial gut instinct was to try to dive into the backgrounds of each of these men and go through who they are and how they came to be and all these things. But I think the, the better idea was to kind of focus on the character of these men. And these weren't perfect men by any stretch of the imagination, but they were godly men in the fact that they were changed by Christ. You see in verses 2 and 3 there that they were worshiping and fasting, and then they were fasting and praying. These men show three spiritual disciplines with the worshiping, the fasting, and the praying, and not just on Sunday mornings for about an hour, but every day of your life. That's worship. So yes, corporately in public here in a setting like this, but also individually in private. And these men in this passage were constantly submitting themselves to the will of the Lord. And the key ingredient into doing this is, is to trust him. So do you think Paul trusted the Lord? He had to, right? I mean, if you think about it, he went from persecuting Christians. He's out there condemning them for the blasphemies that he was thinking that they were committing at the time, dragging them off to jail, ordering them to be stoned. And then he goes back to these same Christians to preach the gospel. And I, I, I only can think about what Paul was going through in his mind when that conversion was taking place and when he was being called to go and to preach to these people. I'm thinking, if I was Paul, I'd be thinking, don't, you know, send me to North Africa. Send me someplace that they don't know me. Like, don't put me back in the faces of these same men that I was just persecuting. But he had to trust God, right? I mean, that's what ultimately drove him to do it. It's his, it's his authentic worship and his trust in God. He had to trust that God would have a plan. He would have a way to help Paul see that through. Barnabas shows his trust in God by being one of the first to sell his land and possessions to follow Jesus ultimately, but to follow Paul too for the sake of the kingdom. Now we can say, you know, that we trust God all we want, but Barnabas literally put his money where his mouth was. Really, really cool stuff. All right, so that's worship. Fasting and praying, 
Those two disciplines are both about trusting in God and depending on him for all things, right? Prayer is asking and submitting yourself to his will and acknowledging his power and authority in your life. And fasting is similar, right? You're, you're withholding what is essential by saying, I'm not going to eat for however long you're going to commit to that. And instead, you're going to choose to nourish yourself um, on spiritual food, on the word, in song, in prayer. Uh, I don't know if any of you have fasted in the past, doing like a spiritual fast, um, but it, it is a powerful way to draw close to God. Um, for those that don't know, I... Um, own my own business, or I have a business partner, so I'm in business for myself now. But back in 2017, I was really weighing out the thought of not being employed by my employer anymore and, and taking this leap of faith, so to speak. Um, and obviously, I sought the counsel of others in the industry. I sought the counsel of people here at church, um, trying to figure out what, what I should do, how I should do it. You know, but ultimately, I needed to seek the counsel of God and what his will was for me. And in talking to the pastors here, they highly encouraged uh, fasting and praying through that process, and, and I did. So like three months probably leading up to that decision, for almost every single week, um, I would do a, either a 24- or a 36-hour fast once a week um, through that process. And it was powerful to hear, I mean, not audibly hear God's voice, but you know, just to hear him speaking to me through his word, through the other people that I'm talking to, watching him open the doors for me that I needed to have opened in order for me to know that this was what God wanted me to do. And I kept that going for almost nine months afterwards. So for almost a year straight, I would do this fast every single week for either 24 or 36 hours. And I know some of you have done fasts similar to that as well. Some have fasted longer. I mean, Josh has done, I know, three, four-day fasts before, especially when big decisions are being needing to be made and he's, you know, really seeking the face of Jesus. Um, it's a super, super powerful way to do that. And I would, I would highly recommend it. If you've got big decisions going on in your life, um, not sure what to do, you're kind of caught in a crossroads and you need to know what God's will is, uh, fast, pray, listen. Listen for him to, to speak to you. It's uh, super, super good. So how did, these, um, how did this characteristic of trusting in God as seen in the worship and fasting and prayer of men like Barnabas and Paul, how did that enable them in the church in Antioch to make a big impact for the kingdom? Well, these men led by example. People inside and outside of their church were attracted to their contagious ability to trust God. They followed them into the breach, out into the ends of the earth, armed only with nothing more than the gospel and the word. Um, and I don't want to direct this point necessarily only to the elders here, you know, the church leadership here at Living Waters Fellowship. I want to make this about you and me too, in your and my ability to lead others and make an impact for the kingdom. And it doesn't matter whether you're behind the pulpit or you have a church title, a deacon, elder, whatever the case may be. Barnabas didn't have either of those. When Aquila and Priscilla started their church, they didn't have either of those either. The same thing. So what's the first step in leading others into the kingdom building? It's to set the tone. Be the example. Trust God. Do things for God. Others will follow that example. Trust him enough to go and be his witness in Carlisle or Indianola or Norwalk or here on the south side of Des Moines, wherever your influence takes you. If you truly trust God and aren't afraid to show it, you'll make an impact for the kingdom. That's what needs to happen here at Living Waters. Men and women who are willing to live dangerously for God, willing to leave it all behind and trust him. That makes an impact for the kingdom, and not just for ourselves and for this church. 
So the third trait of a small church that makes a big impact is found in its willingness to part with its best. So bringing this all together, you know, you've got, you've got the church at Antioch. It's committed to preaching and teaching the word. It's led by men who has truly trusted God. And what happens when a church does these two things? Well, the church goes from a couple dozen to hundreds to thousands. You turn your coffee bar into a hipster restaurant, and we ride on this wave of success, right? No, 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 no. That's what we would want to have happen, right? In our flesh, that's what we would want to have happen. Uh, church leaders all over the country are just like, you know, give me that formula for church growth. What do we got to do? Preach the word? No problem. We can do that. Really trust God? Sure. At least we'll say we do that. But what are we really trusting him for? I mean, what do, what do we do? Well, why are we even preaching the word? What's our desired goal? Well, I think most preachers would answer it in the same way. It's so that I can get enough people in this building to look like we've done something big for Jesus, right? And if we could just get 500 members to this church, if we could pack it out every Sunday, three services a week, um, maybe we'd have to add on to our building or, or build a bigger one somewhere else or whatever the case may be. But then everybody would know, all the peers and the, and the pastors at the Engage Network, then they would know we've made a big impact for Jesus. I don't think that's the it, though. I don't think that's what God's trying to tell us through this. What happened to this church, this small church in Antioch that was committed to the word and had leaders that trusted in God, what did they do? Well, looking at verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the, to the work which I've commanded them or, or called them. So set apart. Set apart means to send away. It's not just giving recognition and accolades for a job well done. It's not congratulating Paul from turning from his dirtbag ways of persecuting the Christians and becoming one of us now. It's not elevating Barnabas as an idol that we should strive to be like for selling all of his stuff and following Christ. That's not it. God's saying, set them apart. The phrase means, you got to go. God's called you to something bigger. And it may not be better. In fact, as we read through more in Acts, it's not going to be better. But... God had something bigger in mind than the church in Antioch. It's his kingdom, right? From God's perspective, this makes perfect sense. But from the human perspective, that's hard to come to grips with. I mean, think about this. I mean, God saves these men. He brings them from Jerusalem into Antioch. And then they serve there, right? They're incredible leaders, gifted men, committed to the word. They trust God wholeheartedly. Most churches would want to hold on to these men for dear life. Um... <laughs> but uh, just despite what God would want them to do, but God showed up and he said, send these two men, the best of the bunch, your most gifted teachers, your most profound amount of faith, send them. I've got work for them to do. So how did the church respond to God's calling? Did they get together and have a business meeting and throw a fit about all the losses they were about to go through? Nope, nope. They fasted, they prayed, and they trusted God. They trusted in everything, including losing some of their most gifted leaders. And they knew that it wasn't only God's will, but it was ultimately going to be for their good. How, you might ask? How would that be for their good? Well, it keeps them focused on the kingdom. I mean, your best two just walked out the door. What are we going to do? Well, they said, let's go share the gospel. Let's make disciples. Let's train them up. Let's see what God does to replace them. And when, we, when he does, let's kick them out the door and do it all over again. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Train them up. 
put them in those positions. That's the process. The church isn't or, or shouldn't be this static thing, right? It's a living body. And this process, this is the heartbeat of it. So some of you here this morning, and probably not all of you here this morning, are being prepared by God to go. And you might not even know it yet. I mean, you're, you're going to be the best of us, right? You're going to be the most gifted teachers and preachers, our most faith-filled brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a church, it's going to hurt to let you go. We've, we've sent people away already from this church, which is really awesome. But it hurts to send you out because it's a dark world out there, right? We're sending you into harm's way. We've seen it. You've seen it. It's, it's, it's difficult. And I got to think, you know, like all these people that have started these churches, it's got to be a very scary endeavor that requires an immense amount of faith to leave the comforts of your home, to leave the comforts of your home church, you know, the, the teaching and the preaching and the worship and all of the people that you've become friends with. And, you know, to go and pack up, to go from that to packing up your wife and kids or your spouse and your kids along with a few other families or individuals to go to another town or another state or another country that might, you might not even want to go to, to go start another church. But God's going to send you anyway, right? I mean, think, think of the examples he gives us in, in the Bible. Um, I think of Jonah, right? Jonah, God calls Jonah to go preach to the men and women or the, the people in Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no, God, they don't even know you. They don't like you. I don't like them. So what does Jonah do? He gets on a boat and goes the opposite direction. God sends the big storm, punishes Jonah. Jonah admits to it, gets kicked off the boat, gets swallowed up by the fish. Fish swims him back to Nineveh and vomits him out on the beaches of Nineveh. God sent him anyway. Moses is another example, right? Moses grew up as a, as a Hebrew uh, in, in Egypt, gets thrown into the river, picked up by royalty in the Egyptian world, raised that way, finds out as an adult that he's a Hebrew, eventually goes out, sees taskmasters abusing the slaves, murders a taskmaster, flees for his life, goes in the wilderness for 40 years, lives as a shepherd, raising a family, and then all of a sudden God calls him and he's like, hey, I want you to go back, and I want you to take my people back out of Israel, out of, out of uh, Egypt, and bring him to the promised land. And what did Moses do? Was he like, you betcha, let's do this. I'm ready, God. Absolutely. No, Moses was resistant. He was like, no, don't send me. I don't want to go back to these people and face them and ask them to do this. I'm not even a good talker. Like, I, I can't speak that well. Don't, I'm not the guy. And God's like, you got a brother. He can talk well. Take him with you. God sent him anyway. Why? Because that was always his plan. That's how, that's how it's going to happen for possibly you. That's how any small church or any church for that matter makes a big impact for the kingdom. They answer the call of God. So to recap, so we got three ways a small church makes a big impact for the kingdom. It's in its commitment to, to the word, a people that trust God, and its willingness to send its best. And I'll end the sermon today with a quote uh, from a guy named David Platt, and he wrote a book called Radical. And in that book, he says, if we were left to ourselves with the task of taking the gospel to the world, we would immediately begin planning innovative strategies and planning elaborate schemes. We would organize conventions, develop programs, and create foundations. But Jesus is so different from us. With the task of taking the gospel to the world, he wandered through the streets and through the byways. All he wanted was a few men who would think as he did, who would love as he did, see as he did, teach as he did, and serve as he did. All he needed was to revolutionize the hearts of a few 
and they would impact the world. I think that's us. That's Living Waters Fellowship. At least that's what it should be, right? And maybe God's calling some of you. Maybe you felt a tug from God to go somewhere, to, to be his witness somewhere. Fast about it. Pray about it. Talk to God about it. Think about those things. And if you really feel that that call is happening, answer that call. God's going to send you anyway, whether you're resistant to him or not. That's our word today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just we thank you again, Lord, for, for who you are, Lord, for these men here in Antioch, Lord, to start the movement of, of your church, Lord, that they would have the courage to answer their call, to go out into harm's way, Lord, to make disciples, Lord, to teach them about you, to save others, Lord. We just thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for, for living the perfect life, Lord, to come down here and to humble yourself to be a human Yes, 100% God, but also 100% human, Lord, to be tempted in the same ways that we are tempted, but to overcome those temptations, Lord. And how did we repay you, Lord? By murdering you and putting you on a cross, Lord. But you defeated the cross. You defeated the grave. You rose three days later, Lord, and you have died for our sins. And we now have grace that we don't deserve, Lord. You have done these things, not because of our works, Lord, but because of yours. And we're just so thankful, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity to know you and, and, and to be loved by you. And Lord, I would just ask that you would be in the hearts of those here with us today, Lord. Um, give them those callings, Lord. Help us to understand who it is you want to send and where you want to send them to, Lord. Open the doors that you want to have open. Close the doors you want to have closed, Lord. We submit ourselves to your will so that we don't get in the way. Lord, we just love you and we thank you. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.